Dear Ava, Faith, Cole, Carson, Brody, Rhett, and Blake, your families, mentors, and friends, and all the people of God gathered here today to hear you affirm your baptism in Jesus the Messiah. Grace and peace be yours from God our Father, from our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has given and sustains in us the gospel of new life. Amen. Long ago, when you were baptized, your parents or grandparents and sponsors made some promises on your behalf. They promised to live with you among God's faithful people, to bring you to the Word of God and to the Holy Supper, to teach you the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and the Ten Commandments, to place in your hands the Holy Scriptures and nurture you in faith and prayer. This was so that you may learn to trust God, proclaim Christ through word and deed, care for others in the world God made, and work for justice and peace. That's not a small list of things that they promised to do. And now, after a lot of instruction, a lot of service hours, writing prayer, and maybe some indigestion, you're here today about to take these promises and responsibilities as your own. So I wonder in this moment how you're feeling today. Are you anxious? Are you happy? Are you bored? <laughs> are you relieved? Wherever you are this morning, know this. As this phase of your Christian life is ending, a new one is beginning. You see, like our brother Paul, our formation in the gospel continues our whole lives long. About 20 years before he wrote this letter to the church at Rome, the risen Christ knocked Paul flat on the road to Damascus. He was blinded for three days. He didn't eat or drink. He prayed. This was, in a sense, his own confirmation process. And I know what you're thinking. Three days sounds a lot better than four years. <laughs> we all, we're all on different timetables. That's all I can say. Yet, after Paul regained his strength and sight, he did not pray something like, Thanks, Jesus, for saving me and making sure I'll go to heaven when I die. I've got it from here. Peace out. No, he entered on a new phase of his life with God. He told others about what he had experienced in Christ. He shared the radical good news that he received, that he was dead to sin and alive to God. And moreover, that this good news was for all people, whoever they were. Plus, when you read Paul's letters, you see how much he grew over the decades. His, his, his views of God, Christ, the Spirit, faith, Jews and Gentiles evolved over time. The earliest letter, 1 Thessalonians, reads a lot differently than, his, than Romans, which is probably his last, and in which we're going to spend quite a bit of time this summer. Paul is a case study in lifetime faith formation. And you see it right away in his greeting in this letter. Paul talks about himself honestly but humbly. He is a slave 
Our translation has servant, but it is slave. He's a slave, not of the empire, not of the emperor, not of the Bible, not of priests or philosophers, not of anyone else, but of Jesus the Messiah. Now think about how radical that statement is. Paul is claiming to be the slave of a man executed by the state as an insurrectionist. An unperson, according to the state, of someone who has endured the greatest shame that the empire could heap upon a person. On top of that, Paul says that he's been called to be an apostle, one sent out with God's good news, made known in this crucified Jesus. Now, at first glance, this is crazy. This is a scandalous thing to say. Slaves, then as now, were considered non-persons. They had no rights. They had no standing before the law. To be the slave of a crucified man would, to imperial ears, have sounded patently ridiculous. Because everyone who was anyone in, in Rome knew where the real power lay, in the emperor and in the senate. Sure, there were gods and their aid and protection were invoked, but there was little that was heartfelt about Roman religion. It was an imperial cult designed to legitimize the emperor and the Roman way of life. And there were two ways to gain or maintain power in the empire. You could take it by force. That was what Augustus had done some 85 years before Paul wrote this letter and Julius Caesar had done 20 years before him. It was what some people wanted Jesus to do. Take power by force. The second way was quid pro quo. Something for something. This for that. Schmooze. Do favors. Achieve great things. Of course, you could only gain power that way by being born in the right family in the first place. Now a lot has changed in 2,000 years, perhaps. You think there's no free lunch now. There was really no free lunch then. In contrast, Paul comes proclaiming the greatest good news that the world has ever known. The old imperial system in which only special people were esteemed given power, responsibility, and the basic rights of personhood, has been totally overturned in Jesus, this crucified Messiah. Now, for a good Jew, this would be like saying, for a good Jew like Paul, this would be like saying, Moses, drowned in the Nile, led the children of Israel. Joshua, put to the sword, protected the children of Israel from her enemies. David, crushed by Goliath, is Israel's true king. It's that scandalous and shocking. Yet it is true. Through his suffering, death, and resurrection, Jesus has broken the old sinful ways of the world and inaugurated a new one. And all people, all people are welcome in it. Jew and Gentile, male and female, families and single people, wealthy or poor, red, yellow, black, brown, white, gay, bisexual, pansexual, straight, cis and trans, able-bodied and disabled, intellectually gifted or not, sick or well, law-abiding citizen or criminal, and yes, even Republican, Democrat, and Independent. 
All people are invited to be part of this amazing new creation that God has begun in our Lord Jesus Christ. With God, all means all. And you, Ava, Faith, Cole, Carson, Brody, Blake, and Rhett are affirming your own part in it today. And in that, you can take pride. Not a destructive kind of pride that's all about ourselves. Not the kind of pride you see out there today, but a good pride in God's grace and mercy shown to us in Jesus Christ. A good pride in what God has done, not in what we have done. Trust me, I know you haven't always wanted to come to church. I know that for a fact. Sometimes your parents and grandparents have had to drag you here. I get it. It isn't always fun. Sometimes confirmation can be like eating your vegetables. I get it. Well, you're in good company. The great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis once wrote this of his own journey in the church. My own experience is that when I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology. And I wouldn't go to the churches. I disliked very much their hymns. Lewis hated a lot of the hymns, can you believe? which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. <laughs> but as I went on and saw the great, I saw the great merit of it, I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew, and then you realize you aren't fit to clean those boots. In this community of faith, and in many others like it all over the world, something extraordinary happens. Ordinary people, people like you and me, People like the folks out there today, with all their annoying, strange ways, gather to hear stories from an old book, have a bite of bread and a sip of wine. Yet, in those people, in these people here, in those stories, in that bread and wine, is God's grace. God is continuing God's new creation in you and in me. And it's free. It's given out of nothing but grace and mercy. Nothing else. There's no way to do a quid pro quo with God. There's nothing we can do to pay God back. There's no way to game the system with God. There's no way to manipulate God. God just invites you and me to be transformed and healed and saved from the destructive ways of the world. And this transformation, which was begun in your baptism, 
content, which you are affirming today, will continue your whole lives until you see Jesus face to face. That's what you're saying yes to. That's what you can take pride in. There are plenty of ideologies, causes, hobbies, and distractions you could devote your life to. But only in Christ crucified do we find real good news. Real life. Let's pray. God, in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have destroyed our old sinful systems that divide and exclude. Help us model your loving kindness toward all people, including ourselves, and to take a good pride in your gospel, which declares all people worthy of your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the unity of the Spirit, we pray. Amen.